Hello, everybody. Welcome to this space. Today, I have a very special guest. Um, my guest today was also my coach. So I know her work firsthand. And she's also my friend. And she's also a Latina woman uh, in, this, in this business. So we have so much to talk about. She's, um, well, Isha uh, is a trauma psychologist, somatic expressive energy alchemist. Uh, she's the founder of Revolutionary Romperreglas, which I love the name of your of your program, an online healing and coaching business. Uh, through movement, breath, and sound, Isha helps healers, connectors, and bridge builders decolonize. And that's precisely what we're going to be talking about today: decolonization and trauma. Welcome, Isha. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah. So excited. <laughs> Thank you. So um, I love that Isha has a very somatic approach to trauma. That that's, uh, that's something that I really want to ask you about uh, to start with. What does it mean uh, to talk about, I'm sorry, what does it mean to speak about um, decolonization and trauma? Those are two terms that I am particularly interested in, and the somatic approach to trauma. What does it mean? So, um, you know, with in terms of decolonizing um, through the body, I, you know, there's a there's a lot of ways that you know, people use the word decolonization and I want to be considerate of, you know, indigenous folks, especially those indigenous to North America and, and South America, Central America, talking about how, you know, the process of colonization, I want to be considerate of that. So the way that I understand the process of trauma is the, the process of how our systems of, you know, strife and power that exist in the world, the way that we are parented, the way that we are conditioned into certain belief systems, those are all imposed upon the body. Those are, those are all ways that the, our bodies are settled with belief systems. And so that's the way that I understand the process of like peeling off these layers of what has been imposed upon, what is, what is covering up the true self, the core self or the spirit self um, and, and our life force energy. So that's how I think of it as a process of like peeling away all of these layers. Um, so decolonizing our minds, right? Like training our brains to work in service of us, not against us. Mm -hmm. um, decolonizing our bodies and decolonizing even spirit in the sense of like, how do you conceptualize the God self, right? How do you conceptualize God? Is it something that lives outside of you? Or is it something that lives within? Does it have a gender? You know, all of those things are what, what I bring into to the, the therapeutic space or the, the coaching space. And in terms of trauma, um, you know, the way that I understand trauma, and I usually work with, with young wounds, is too much, too fast, too soon, 
So this is what Peter Levine of Somatic Experiencing came up with as a way to help us conceptualize trauma beyond um, the normal shock trauma that we understand. That even in the slightest small moments of life, that can be trauma. Mm -hmm. And our conditioning and socialization is also a form of trauma because it separates us from our real self. I love that and I totally agree I have the same uh, the, the very same view during my training it's because it's deeply somatic and, and and that is the the power that lies in that acknowledgement right like how our bodies have been holding on to that to that expression to those layers and, and they keep uh, keep us from our true essence yeah and and you know because it's, um, you know, we are energy beings. And I really, you know, when I talk about somatics, I, yes, I'm talking about our muscular armoring, the way our bodies are shaped. But I'm also talking about like, like just energetic patterns that we hold in the body, the ways that we like learn to move and relate to ourselves, to one another. And that, that is all energetically patterned. You know, our first relationships are with our caregivers and those are imperfect relationships but those are the relations that's the way we learn to relate to ourselves and to other people and the world even and so these are these pattern it's like a matrix that lives within us yeah. yeah yes totally and then comes another part that is so important um which is why of all the people that i know I invited you to this to this podcast, and it's because we are both Latinas. Uh, of yeah. course, because I admire your work and I know it firsthand, uh, and I deeply appreciate you. But there is also a, a, a common component here, which is both being Latina women, and in that sense, I think that you and I can have a conversation about colonization. Uh, into and, and take it to a deeper um, space because there is a kind of colonization that all women experience because we have been colonized by patriarchy all human experience because we have been colonized by our culture but then latin american women and indigenous women experience because we have been colonized uh, by by foreign cultures cultures so that that's something that i really want to discuss because i think that our voices need to be heard a little bit more we are we are too used to listening to white uh coaches white uh thought leaders and that's okay i mean yeah they are they, there are so many amazing thought leaders out there but we need to start speaking up and, and gathering around women of color because for way too long, we have been a little bit to kept in the corner. Uh, and I would really love to discuss the experience of dealing with the trauma of being a Latina. Like, have you seen uh, or, or could, you, could you describe how it changes from uh, the experience of a uh, of you know, like, like being a Latina and not a Latina, and, and if there is a specific trauma around us. You know, um, 
you know, it's in, in this case, it's, it's, I can speak from my own experience and then I can speak from the experience of the people that I've seen in my practice is, you know, from my own experience, I've come to recognize, I didn't realize that it was there, but I, if, as I was working through my personal trauma, I reached a place after doing four years of very intensive work, I got to a place where I recognized that the trauma that I was dealing with at some point was collective, that it was no longer just personal to me, but that it felt like it was this understanding of myself, like within the system that I had grown up in. And it came out in the smallest ways, like even like giving myself permission to have authority to share my wisdom. You know, and, and being like, yes, I, I can step into my leadership, which is why I'm obsessed with leadership and supporting women of color and, and stepping into their leadership because we don't give ourselves that authority because the system doesn't give us that authority. And at some point I said, I have value to offer. I have something to give and I, and I want to give it. I want to share it. And so that, that process of coming into that self-trust has been hard one. It's been hard for me. Um, and I do a lot of work around like allowing myself, giving myself that authority, but doing it with a sense of humility. But, but it came like the, the, the wall that I came up against was because you grew up in this little, this little island that nobody cares about. Like, who are you? to, you know, to have anything to say. And I know that those belief systems exist in, in white women as well. So I'm not going to pretend that that doesn't exist. The quality, the, 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 the flavor of it was uniquely like colonial Puerto Rican. <laughs> it felt very unique to how I had grown up. Yeah, totally. That, that is something that I have found as well. Oh, oh my God, I even run out of voice. You know that <laughs> we, we know. Very yes. to speak up as a Latina. Yes. In a world that it's, um, that it's still struggling to see us and to stop referring to us as minorities, which we are not minorities. Right. But that, that reference to us as minority comes from the fact of seeing Caucasian people as the norm and the yes. rest of the world as the foreign. When yes. in reality, the world is made of diversity. We, yeah. we actually, there are more inhabitants of the world that are not white than those that are white. Yes. But it's like to become a leader, you have to be uh, playing in the game with white women uh, for whom success has a very specific set of um, of rules. It's like, you know that a white woman is successful because, you know, she's all about the luxury and about the fine clothes and the travel. But you know that a Latina woman is successful because she dared to speak up. And just that, like she dared yeah. to speak up in a culture yeah. where we are not uh, encouraged to speaking up. Yes, 
Yes. No, and I love that you touched your throat because that has been like a big deal. Uncovering the throat, like unblocking the throat, like daring to speak the truth when our ancestors, like the whole, the whole point of the subjugation of our indigenous heritage or, you know, our, our, yeah, our ancestors was to suppress the truth, suppress the knowledge, suppress the practices, annihilate them, essentially. And that epigenetically lives in ourselves. That is, that is our, some of our deepest knowing is the understanding that we can't, we shouldn't bring our medicine, that it's dangerous to bring our medicine. Right. And it's literally dangerous. I mean, yes. I know that um, white women speak a lot about, uh, uh, this is not against white women. I adore white women. I have, uh, I mean, of course, it's not against them. But I, I'm just trying to signal the differences between the challenges that we both deal with. Uh, they speak about how endangered they feel about sharing their knowledge because there was a time when they were born in the stick in, on the stick for doing that and they were and that's truth and that lives in their in their bodies but for latina women that is is still going on that that didn't happen 200 years ago that happened yesterday to the woman that was just murdered for fighting for female rights in, yes. in Chihuahua or Sonora. You know, like, yes. we yes. know that that is a challenge that we are facing still today, that right. we are not processing from our ancestors, that we're processing from the present. Yes, yes. And it's not to say that femicide doesn't exist in the United States. It's just like the, the intensity and the degree to which it is happening is is extreme. It's dire. It's it is like you said right now, and it's urgent. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Um, I was just sharing that I dare to start my business as a as a sexuality coach when I moved to Merida because I knew that I would be safer here. That. Mm in the than in the city that I love and grew up with in yeah. which is Mexico City and I knew that I could be um, in danger in my own city and even as I moved to Merida I don't write down where I am at I am not like oh look I am in Merida look at the places look at my house look at there, there is this feeling of cautiousness because we know that the danger is super present right now Yes, yes. Yeah, and especially the way that you talk about sexuality, the way that you teach about sexuality is subversive. Yeah. It is yeah. subversive. It is subversive to, to, to all of the systems, right, that are in effect and in operation. And that it has to do with challenging patriarchy, with challenging the system. And it they don't take that... <laughs> Fondly, they don't really love that we're <laughs> challenging them. I, I, I was just reading uh, uh, some comments on the news of some women that were um, every March 8th, women come to the streets demanding safety in Mexico and in Latin yeah. America because of the number of feminicides. Um, and women drew on, on a monument and 
there were people commenting that they wanted to burn them alive, that they wanted to murder them. Like, oh my gosh, if I had seen them, I would have just set them on fire. It was like, they are speaking about that openly in the comment section with their name and address. And, you know, like, <laughs> it's not even some distant troll with a fake account. It's somebody right, right. that has a name and a, and a surname and speaks about burning women because they dare to draw on a monument. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't even have words right now to, I'm just feeling that as you're talking about, it. I'm just, whew. And that has been the reality. And for me, that is the challenge that, yes, we are speaking about leadership, but for us, leadership is about survival and then about uh, growth and expansion. But uh, when the pyramid of Maslow, uh, oh my gosh, I have never said this aloud in, in a podcast. <laughs> but I remember that during my training as a sexuality coach, there was this module in which I broke down and I was really upset because they showed us the pyramid of Maslow, which I already know. And I know that, you know, right? Like they say, until you have safety, you can have this other, and then you have this other, and then you have self, uh, self-growth. Um, and I was thinking, no, for Latinas and for people in, in, with marginalized uh, um, personalities, with marginalized, uh, what's the name? Um, identities. I, thank you, identities. Uh, we have to look for self-development and safety at the same time because yes. we will never actually really know have that part figured out we don't really have safety but we yes. cannot be stuck in safety forever because otherwise we wouldn't be able to to look for the other parts of the pyramid right. which is uh, self self um self growth so we have to have safety and this other safety and right, right. Uh, and I think that is such a difference between one culture and the other. That's what happens with colonization. We have to learn yeah. how to thrive and at the same time, keep us struggling for our safety. Yeah, yeah. You know that Maslow stole that from Native American people. Wow. <laughs> that's, another, that's another layer. <laughs> yeah, that was actually taken from, I don't know what, what um, what people he was he was um, working with, but he took that from um, a nation of indigenous folks. But yes, like I think that you're right. Like you know, when I talk about safety, you know, it's like we can't we we're not guaranteed safety. Yeah. Right. We're not especially not as in, in in marginalized identities. And part of the trauma healing work is to be able to access safety within yourself, access the safety of nervous system regulation and co-regulation, right? So that you can respond to any given situation from, from your center, from your truth, from your leadership, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's, that's, the, that's the arena that we're working in and we wanna acknowledge, right? Because I think that a lot of, you know, if you don't have a systems perspective, you're going to miss, you're going to be attributing to this one person like, oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Well, there are real reasons why we don't do certain things because, you know, we don't feel safe in a, in a bigger sense. 
um, in, a, in a more global collective sense. And that's important to acknowledge, even though you can't do anything about it, it's important to acknowledge it as part of the, the whole picture. Yes, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up because um, I think that is so important how we live that as a community and how to to also access safety from within our bodies, which I think that is something that we really need to to discuss a little bit more. And, and I just went somewhere because I remember my my, my grandmother, there, there was um, there was this moment in which I told her um, about, I, I knew a woman uh, that was even older than her back then uh, in the bus. And she was so happy and so full of radiance. And she told me that she was going to this place where she was having conversations with other women her age, and they were building things together, and they were they were um, they were teaching whatever they knew. Like she was very good doing stuff with her hands, and she was teaching that to others. And women that were good at cooking were teaching cooking classes, and so they would spend time working together. And she was radiant. She was full of light. So I came back home, and I shared with my grandmother. And I told her, Granny, you have to go to this place as well. I know how lonely you feel. You will, you will be able to enjoy this. And she said, oh, no. Social clubs are for people that are not stressed about anything in life. I have too many things that worry me right now. I have to figure out what I'm going to do uh, to cook, to, to feed you all. And I was like, no, you don't leave that to us and to my mom and you go and have some time for community in this social club and she didn't want to because she said i don't have time to waste seated by a pool talking to other women and and at the end of her life she ended up feeling very sad and, and, and particularly lonely and i always wonder if her life would have ended up differently had she gone and, and had she connected with other people, had she created community, uh, but her survival mechanism wouldn't allow her to. So uh, when we're speaking about surviving, I think that the wrong uh, idea that culture makes us have is that we first have to have this figured out and later on, we can think about bonding. And later on, we can think about finding love. And later on, but in reality, we need to, to, as you just mentioned, first create safety inside and create community and work with community. Because we cannot do this on our own. And we cannot wait until everything is done and perfect to move to the next stage in the ladder. Yeah, you know, as you're talking, what's coming up for me is that, you know, when I talk about, you know, trauma healing and evolving the self, you know, the parts of ourself, like our spirit selves and even our shadow selves or our masks, right, the, ma the social mask that we show the world, there, we're always sort of moving back and forth through them, right? It's not like, oh, you're in your mask and you stay in your mask or you know, 
even even when you've done a lot of work right like sometimes your shadow comes out so there's this always there's this constant moving process between all of all of these parts within you and so in the same way like as i hear you talking about like even if you're if you are in the in the let's say the hierarchy of of working on survival like i still feel like one can access pleasure one can access right a sense of thriving it doesn't need to be like okay here's a step and then you've passed that phase i don't think it's it's not linear it doesn't exactly. feel linear to me exactly exactly thank you you just you just put it clearly i was struggling with that clarity exactly you you can go through that through that search for safety and still access pleasure it doesn't yes. have to be linear yes yes yeah, I think that is that, that is so important for our culture specifically because we're still in that in that area trying to survive every day. So yeah. and I notice that I notice women saying, oh, I, I, I can't work with you yet because I don't have time for pleasure. Like like if pleasure was a luxury. And I yes. remember myself thinking that as well, like pleasure is a luxury. But in reality, pleasure is so necessary to just keep going every day. It's just part of the revolution. It's part of, of showing up in the world and not letting it crush us. Right. Pleasure is the revolution, right? When you think about how scarcity has been the dominant paradigm and that scarcity has had us in competition with one another, um, in jealousy, in in like um, even just thinking about patriarchy having us in unhealthy relationship dynamics. To be in pleasure and to embrace pleasure as a way of life, regardless of what circumstances you're living in, that is revolutionary. Like you don't have to have, you don't have to be famous, you don't have to like be known in the world this is about you reclaiming your truth pleasure is your truth you know this is when i watch children develop they are in pleasure everything that they engage in they engage with that sense of pleasure discovering their own body and eating and relating it's all pleasure based Yes, yes. I, I was just going to ask you that to describe pleasure, because I think that uh, people have such a different uh, perspective of what pleasure is. We either over sexualize it or yes. we desexualize it, right? Like, yes. <laughs> yes. And in fact, it's not separate from sexuality, but sexuality has become sexualized. It's become plastic, plasticized. Um, through pornography and whatnot, um, and through, of, of course, the you know patriarchal um, perspectives and lenses. But for me, pleasure is about accessing our five or six senses in any given moment, like being in the moment, taking in what is beautiful, what is working, what is right here in front of you. Um, for me, it's a very simple practice. Um, every day I, I'm looking for ways to engage in pleasure. I take a morning walk and I'm this morning, I'm smelling the, 
like the lavender and all of the amazing flowers that are blooming right now in, in Connecticut where I live. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even just going into the shower and when I soap up my body, I feel my body. I'm connected to my body. I appreciate my body. Sometimes I even put music or when I'm sitting here talking to you, I have a candle lit or I have flowers here. You know, so being in the sensuality of life, life is sensual, even when, you know, life feels like you're getting fucked over. There's a beauty in what is emerging, what is getting excavated. You know, for example, um, in moments where I feel grief, where I'm moving through a lot of difficult emotions, I call them difficult because they're not feelings that you know, are necessarily like wanted or, you know, we, we move towards, but for me, grief and, and feeling all of that crying, all of that is sensual because it's alive. It's just alive. Yes, 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 yes. I love that. And as you mentioned that, I think about your first statement about trauma, how trauma is too fat, too fast, too much, too soon. Um, yes. Um, and I think that if we use pleasure as a regulation system, yes. we could kind of filter the the, ex- yes. the the experience, so it's not too fast or too much. Exactly. Uh, and it's definitely something that we can pace uh, in according to our own uh, pleasure regulating system. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that in because that's exactly how I support when we are doing trauma healing work. It is about like pleasure is a way to bring yourself into your body in a way that is safe. For a lot of us, it isn't safe to be in our bodies, right? To be in our full sexuality, it's not safe. But pleasure, the simplicity of pleasure gives us a way to come in. It keeps, it helps us like calm our nervous systems when we're in overwhelm it pleasure helps regulate absolutely yeah yeah i think that is so powerful and how uh, i i love how you mentioned that children live with pleasure and really i i think that we should do a cleanse about the word pleasure because the this connection of pleasure with pornography which i think is one of the less pleasurable works every like i'm pretty sure that a very small percentage of porn actors are actually having pleasure while they are filming so i i i mean probably some do most likely but but i can guarantee that many of them don't but that's how we are measuring pleasure we are expecting pleasure to to feel like and to sound like something uh, that has to do with exposing our sexuality, being approved, being fuckable, being desirable, and being taken and ravished, and and that's not pleasure. Yeah, yeah, and even thinking about the from a, a consumerist lens, the way that pleasure has been sold to us is through like amassing things oh i have this i buy myself this perfume or this makeup or this dress or even chocolates right this is how pleasure is sold in commercials is through consumption whether it's something you put in your mouth or something you wear on your body 
Yeah. And which goes back to the very basic ways in which we, even as children, feel the world, right? Through our mouth, yes. through the texture of our yes. body. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. The sensorial, sensorial world, you know, and, and for me, pleasure is, is like a, like a mindfulness. I don't like using the word mindfulness because it just focuses on the mind, but it, it's a fullness practice. Yeah. You know, it's a way that I feel full in my body. I feel whole in my body through the practice of pleasure. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I, you know, and that includes self-pleasure. Yes. You know, it includes self-pleasure, you know, so it does include um, more tangible aspects of sexuality. Yes. And uh, that, that is something that I had to relearn when I started um, training, that self-pleasure was slower and was not about friction and was not about getting to a point, but it was about feeling in that moment and feeling slowly and gently. And, and even when you're doing something, then take it uh, a little bit slower now, slow it down a little bit more. Uh, and that goes against the way in which we perceive pleasure from the outside in the media, right? Like we see pleasure happening fast and easy but in reality, pleasure goes slowly and gently because it right. has to be absorbed by, by our senses. Yes, yes. And you know, the, an example that I like to use about how we often miss experiences of pleasure, like you can, look at a, you can look at some flowers and think, oh, that's pretty, but you are moving way too quickly in order to really look at them and take them in, right? Because that's another step in the process. We do have to slow down and just allow it to affect us. Allow us, allow ourselves to take it in, breathe it in. What does it feel like in your body to look at these colors or to smell them? What, what, what memories come up for you? Does, do you feel your desire? Like this is all like this, so much movement happening in the body just from this one simple moment. <laughs> And often we're moving way too quickly through our lives to even take in a compliment, yeah. right? We often deflect like, oh, that's a, such a today. Oh yeah, thanks, you know, and we sort of quickly move away from it. But like, can we take that in? Can we absorb? Can we receive? You know, and what we're talking about with pleasure is about honoring receptive energy, yeah. right? The receptive you know, what people call the feminine. I like to have it be gender typed, but the receptive energy. Yeah. But then what happens when we do that? And the reason why most people avoid doing that, it's because trauma catches up. When we slow yes. down or when we connect to our body or when we connect to our sensuality in any shape, trauma catches up. And I think that we have been running away from it for a long time. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why it's so important. And, and it always shows up. Like in, in my work, it, it shows up constantly. That's something I work with. Uh, people don't expect that. Uh, and uh, it's like, oh, I just came for the pleasure. Yeah, baby, but you're going to feel the pain. <laughs> 
and you're going to love it because after that comes a lot of pleasure. But I, I think that's uh, wh why trauma work is so important. And I really want to, to discuss that with you because people feel, uh, first of all, people feel that trauma is something that breaks us and brandes, uh, brands us and that uh, if I have trauma, I am kind of broken. And if I have trauma, I am unique and nobody else surely has that mm. trauma. And, and I really want to normalize the discussion around trauma and the responses to trauma. Yeah, absolutely. No, I thank you for bringing that in. Um, I, I just want to say that my belief is that we're all traumatized. And obviously there is a long or large spectrum of how that all can happen. And, you know, the reason why a lot of us feel broken in our experiences, in our internal world is because trauma does split the self. It does fracture the self, but the trauma healing process is about mending, is about restitching, is about remembering right bring bringing it back together and so that's why i'm so passionate about the work because it's like this this brokenness is is like this feeling you are already whole yeah. right the thing is that you are already whole and it's just a, ma a matter of re recapturing that or returning to that um I, yeah, I believe we, we all get hurt. And again, to different degrees, some worse than others. And, and, and as you were saying, like, we're, a lot of us are being traumatized right now. Like, there is so much collective trauma. We are witnessing violence um, in the United States and Mexico and wherever you live, you are witnessing violence through the media or in your neighborhood or in your home. Um, so we are being exposed in real time, in addition to generational things, things that happen in our childhood. So I think that this process of what you talked about, co-regulation, regulation, honoring, like when you slow down, yes, there is all of this, this feeling that comes up, right? Maybe distress comes up. We need to be able to process that because our ancestors, even, even our mothers and certainly our grandmothers didn't have the luxury to do that work, you know? And I don't want it to be a luxury. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful to be alive right now because we have so many resources to work with trauma, to heal trauma. You can watch YouTube videos and learn how to heal your trauma. You can listen to podcasts and learn how to heal your trauma. Like there are ways, if that's something that you desire, there are so many ways. Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and now um, the responses, the, the famous mm. responses for, for stress, because they are not really just for trauma, they are stress responses. Um, yes. I would love to hear uh, or, or to mention them, more than to hear, I would love to mention them to the, to the yeah. audience. Uh, the, the, the stress or trauma responses that we deal with, how would yeah. you? Yeah, I think like the four basic responses, just to keep it simple, is, you know, fight, mm -hmm. flight, which is usually sort of an anxious, anxious moment, 
freeze when we get stuck and fawn when we're appease in appease mode right so fight flight freeze and fawn and you know what i want to say about the freeze state is that we often um we often blame ourselves sometimes for being in free states but free states are just they're they're part of our our nervous system that is sort of automatic mm-hmm. and it's just the way that we're programmed it's just something that happens it's part of our reptilian brain yeah. so it's it's not something that you choose it's something that just happens in your body so mm-hmm. yeah those are the basic there's other mixed states but they're not mm-hmm. as um, as important and i think they are so important because they are so common and we don't even notice like uh the fighting with people on social media right yes when, when we get on a fight it, it doesn't need to be about punching somebody in the face it can be just about insulting some stranger or engaging in a discussion for hours on social media because that person has a different political view than yours uh, yes <laughs> sasha sasha just yesterday i was i was in a in like a this beautiful um liberation space and we had a, there was a guest speaker that was invited to speak famous person and they said a word um that like I, I could feel the ripple in the audience and this is just all on Zoom. and I didn't have a huge reaction to it somebody said something and then as this as this discussion began to unfold about the use of certain words and how they trigger people I could feel the the fight response rising up and in me I felt my flight I almost like xed out And I kept telling myself, stay, stay, trust that this will get worked out. But I could feel my own response to wanting to leave and other people's responses of fight, right? And we all, like as the speaker leaned in with curiosity and listening, then, right, the, the, nervous, the collective nervous system was able to calm and then have a discussion from a very different place. But there was all of that, all of that fight flight. There's some people who talked in the chat about freezing when they heard the word, you know, so that this is all happening, as you said, all the time, all the time. And we're not really good at tracking it. I'm finding like, we're not good at tracking it. I really want nervous system knowledge to be everywhere because it would save us so much conflict and pain. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I always love to mention the responses because I'm like, oh, you're going through a stress response. It's okay. Yeah. It's your body trying to tell you we need to do something to survive. So you, you just need to remember that uh, you're safe, right? Nobody, nobody's going to hurt you right yes. now, right? Or, or if somebody's going to hurt you, you need to take action. So, uh, It's like um, yes. the fond response. Uh, it's like us being nice to people uh, that that are trying to. I, I remember. I remember this experience in the. I was much younger, and I was with a with a friend of mine, in a bar, and this man started flirting, but very you know like hard, uh, like like just not leaving us a space to move, and we were smiling. <laughs> 
and laughing. Uh, and, but we couldn't figure out what to do. And we were just smiling at the silly jokes of that person. But that person just had us kind of against the wall. Like we, we, we were not finding a way out. So until I feared there was somebody out um, and I said, oh, that's my friend. Uh, and I took my, my friend with, with this man, with another man. And, I, and we both sat with him and he said, oh, I thought you were enjoying the, the flirting of that guy because you were both <sighs> laughing. And I was like, no, <laughs> we were laughing because we were, I, I didn't know it back then. And I felt guilty for laughing. And I felt like I was actually maybe, uh, you know, provoking that, that flirtatiousness because that that's what people thought oh, if that guy thought that i was enjoying that of course the guy flirting was thinking the same but now that i know about the stress responses i know that no i was just trying to be pleasant for my own sake so i was right <laughs> but yes <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I I talk a lot about um, how most of us grow up with codependency as the norm for relationships, and that's part of the decolonization. Because I I uphold sovereignty as my as sort of the way that I want to exist in relationships and how I want to be in, in any relationship. And in relationship with myself as well. And a lot of that comes with healing codependency and co growing up in codependent systems and, and has a lot of us, especially women, because that's who I work with, has us in a lot of fawn um, response, a lot of appeasement, especially when we're trying to set boundaries, which are essential, mm -hmm. essential part of the trauma healing process and the, and the process of coming into our sovereignty is we have such a hard time saying this is what I need or this is what I want, right? And bringing it back to the colonization piece, like I never got to say what I needed or what I wanted growing up, right? And a lot of us, like if you grow up in family and collectivist cultures where there is then another layer of codependency, right? And those two things are different. They're not the same things because I love collectivism but it's not codependency, but a lot of us grow up feeling like collectivism is codependency and vice versa. And so we don't get to say what's good for us because we're thinking about all the other people it's gonna affect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I, I would love to hear more about that, that term. I had never heard it, uh, uh, collectivism. Mm -hmm. What is it? Yeah, collectivism is just sort of like, you know, like, in, in, in Latinx families, right? Is, is this idea that familismo, right? Mm -hmm. That we are all interdependent, mm -hmm. right? And you, what your actions affect the other person. And, you know, it's all of the sense of like working together and valuing family interrelatedness. And unfortunately, right, that is, that's also imposed upon with right codependence and survival systems and colonialism and how families needed to insulate themselves in order to protect from outsiders and so there's ways that can become toxic yes. um, when 
you know, if, you know, I'd say to my daughter, you can't go out wearing that because what are the neighbors going to say about us? Your behavior reflects badly on the family. How dare you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so that is a way that it can become toxic. Yeah. But collectivism in and of itself, I, I love it. It's just, like, yes, recognizing that we are all interrelated and that we do affect one another, right? Even if I don't know you, I may still affect you, right? In my, in my words and my thoughts and my actions. Mm, and that is so, uh, so Latino. We do that so much as Latin Americans. We are taught to be very collective, uh, to think yes. about our family system. Like we're moving yes. here, but we're coming together. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> or, you know, this, right, this is your cousin, but we're going to treat him like a brother, you know, like he's part of the family and this is not really your blood's relative, but we're going to call him hermano and, or hermana. You know, it's just a sense of like, yeah, the sense of like, you know, in, in Puerto Rico, we say, si come uno, come dos, right? Uh -huh. Like, what is just one more person to feed? There's enough food for everybody. Here in Merida, where, where I'm living at, you, you see those black points there? Uh, yeah. Well, there, there are these black thingies. They are for hammocks. All houses <sighs> are made in a way that you can hang hammocks <sighs> to receive more people. So you just... <sighs> Add another hammock. <laughs> love it. I love it. I want those installed in my house. <laughs> Here, all, all houses have them. But it's funny because they even do in the living room. Because oh. they expect that, like, the, the more traditional families in here, you can have a small house with 17 people in. <laughs> they would just start adding hammocks and even my, my husband who, who comes from a very traditionally Mexican family because of course Mexico has everything right we have mestizos and we have uh, but, but people that are more from Pueblo more traditional yeah uh, They are even even more like that. So uh, he, he has a saying that says, from one wall to another, everything is a bed. So you can lie anywhere in the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. I love hammocks. <laughs> That's the difference between the center of Mexico. In the center of Mexico, we just use uh, um, petate, which is... Uh, just something made with leaves and you put it on the floor and here we use the hammocks because the box are pretty intense but the, the thing is how there is this sense of collect collectiveness very indrawn in our culture and yes it can be an impulse because your family has your back uh, differently from the USA where people can lose everything and live in the street. You know yes. that if somebody is in trouble, they are going to end up living with a cousin here. Like yes, nobody, exactly. nobody's going to live in the street if you can avoid that. Exactly. But the, the bad news is that it can actually be very limiting because some families can be very toxic because there is a lot of unresolved trauma in many families. Absolutely. And when you, yeah, when you think about how, <clears throat> how collective trauma moves, affects 
a family, right? And it, and it is transmitted through parenting practices, yes. right? That is how collective trauma is transferred through generations, is through our parenting practices, even the way, for example, how, you know, I, I hear a lot when I was working with um, um, Puerto Rican women and, and Dominican women, I heard a lot about like the differential treatment between boys and girls in the family. Yeah. Oh, the boys are, you know, very close to the mother and the girls are sort of like, yes, well, you clean up the table. They were treated like servants in the home. You know, and those are like more traditional in more traditional um, Puerto Rican families or from the countryside, mm -hmm. Pueblo, as you say. Yeah. But yeah, that that it, you know, that it that all comes from colonialism. That comes from patriarchy. Those are that's all how the systems live within us, and then gets get transmitted through our interactions with our partners and our children. Yes, totally. And I mean, we could have a whole conversation about yeah. family systems and yes. epigenetics and family transmitted trauma. That, that's one of the, that, that was my very first approach to trauma because I felt like I needed to overcome a lot of family issues in order to actually find myself. Yeah. But that would take us another hour. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for this conversation. It has yeah. been so beautiful to have you in this space. And I just really want to invite people, and I would like to, uh, for you to tell us a little bit about that, to your both your container and to work with you one-on-one. -on -one. You, uh, yes. you have nowadays uh, uh, programs to work with people for yeah. six months. Shh, dog. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That just keeps it real. Uh, <laughs> it's my neighbor's dog. Uh, but uh, you have a six-month container, right? Yes. Uh, for yes. working with you one-on-one. -on -one. I, I, we, we made an exchange. I coach uh, her on JDEC and she coached me uh, for some sessions. And yes. it was so magical, so beautiful. So um, I, I can really 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 recommend you the work with isha because she's so she does this thing that is so powerful with trauma uh work that it's slow gentle uh, and slow uh, and you know like slow it takes it further it doesn't have to be about crying for hours and kicking and screaming you can just go gentle little by little and, and she does that she contains this space in such a masterful way so and i would really love to hear um where they can find you yes so my my website is www.revolutionaryrompereglas.com i my six months six month one-on-one -on -one container is called devotion and it really is about devoting yourself to your inner child, all of your energetic system, devotion to your boundaries, really about accessing your full life force in service of your leadership. And it's through like intimacy, healing, all of this stuff. And, um, and then I offer like short term short-term stuff at, at a lower cost. For example, my three-session aligned journey is if you're feeling stuck in a particular place in your life, it's a, a little bit of a lower price. It's a shorter commitment. It's just three sessions. And that is just for like, you know, for anyone. Um, and then 
I have my online community, which I love so much. It is a it's a small and intimate online community for, you know, I serve healers, change makers, bridge builders, connectors, you know, the people who really care about making a difference in the world and and recognizing that a lot of us have like the people who really care. I often find that, you know, we have a lot of trauma to work through. And this is sort of like what we came in these bodies into this lifetime to do is to heal ourselves and to bring ourselves in service to the collective. And so this is a space where we have, you know, coaching twice a month. We have a Latinx um, coaching group, uh, and a group. It's, it's basically like Facebook for Rompe Reglas. Yeah. And we have another um, Black affinity healing space. So we, it's, and, and we practice pleasure in there. This is like my favorite place to be, honestly. We practice like expressing our sexuality and just having fun and and bragging the the amazing steps that we're taking towards our like embracing our wholeness and or honoring the wholeness that already is Mm -hmm. so those are the ways to work with me my my online container isn't um the community opens up twice a year but i think that in september i will be opening it up opening it up permanently and having people just come in without needing to sort of just open and close it, but just to leave it open for anyone who wants to come in. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I will be adding the links to the, uh, to the conversation, to, um, to the description of the, of the call so that people can just click. And thank you so much for, for yeah. this beautiful conversation. Please share with us, guys, what you think about this conversation. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.